Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Today, we're going to be talking to an academic and spiritual healer from Howard University to Harvard University to her own business. She'll be telling us what we need to do to truly start to heal from our traumas. Well, let's just start off. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, everyone. My name is Chiamaka Ipeze. Under the context I'm here today, I provide spiritual healing support, which also includes a lot of emotional support for people. That has a wide span of helping people connect with ancestral people in their lineage, people who've passed away, long passed away or recent. I provide a lot of psychic and intuitive. And psychic meaning I have the capacity to read energy. And I define intuitive as the consciousness of my body. And that's why everyone has intuitive capacity because I view our bodies as living organisms very similar to earth itself and it has its own consciousness and the more you listen to it the more it talks and um, whatever people's kind of wide range of crisis trauma emotional pain or just guidance for their spiritual path this is what I do so I'll just say I'm a healer to push short and the name of my work is the garden yeah so you have a master's in psych and human development correct yes okay so let's Let's start off, tell us what like academia was like as a Black woman in that space. So I got my master's at Harvard, and I have to give the context of getting my undergrad degree at Howard University because that significantly determined the mentality in which I entered Harvard. I was not expecting a good education, and good education meaning education that spoke truth to power and to marginalize in all communities, a good education being one that would fundamentally transform me and kind of deeply radicalize and humble my understanding of the world. That is not by any means my association with Harvard. So I say that as context to say I was not expecting to experience being seen. I was not expecting to experience being fundamentally stimulated. What I was expecting was resources and networking connections that will help rebirth the sense of slow dying dreams I was experiencing. I needed an environment with people who were relentless with big dreams and people in power who normalize dreaming big, for lack of better terms. So all that to say, my experience through classes was sometimes traumatizing, a lot of times annoying, (laughs) Um, and that's the best way I can put it. Some 
few times stimulating a word. Shout out to uh, Gretchen if she ever sees this episode <laughs> podcast or my professors. But um, yeah, that's a good way to, I think, sum up that experience. Besides like the networking, was there any part of it that was surprisingly different than you thought? Um, hmm, that's a great question. Surprisingly different than I thought. Uh... <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not there, it's not there. If it didn't happen, it didn't happen. You know what? Okay, there's one thing. Um, I'm going to be 100 and say that pre-Harvard, I, like, don't believe in BIPOC. I feel as if a lot of times people say BIPOC when they really are talking about specific population. They say BIPOC, but you mean Black, you know, right? Or, like, if you want to talk to Latinx folks, like, you know, say big up. With your chest, right? They don't want to actually say black. It's like a scary word. They don't want to have to say Latinx or navigate if they're saying Latino, Latinx, Latin, exactly. Hispanic. It makes them nervous. Exactly. And likewise, though, on a more like realer level, I had never experienced true, authentic, like BIPOC solidarity, right? And so that was another level of that myth was like, when we're just talking daily lived experiences, on average, I see Black women specifically, you know, being more upset about what's happening to other communities and other communities are upset about what happens to us. And so that adds a layer of like the myth of BIPOC, like don't come with me with that because I just feel as if a lot of that is imposed. But I will say, like, I still hold an understanding of, you know, how anti-Blackness is rampant against communities globally, right? And I still hold an understanding of the ways that even though BIPOC had this radical kind of origin, right, where it's like Black organizers trying to create coalition, right, and now it's been co-opted by power structures and watered down to a degree in which we feel nothing. It's not a, a rallying of how to work together. It's It's just another way to group everyone that's not white right but I will say that I was able to meet some really extraordinary especially like Latinx women and some Latinx people who just were really like without my presence you know anti-blackness is real and just very thorough in what they spoke up against and they've become some of my close friends leaving Harvard and so I have been grateful for just experiencing that Clearly, there's always some people in communities who are on the worst or better spectrums, no matter what background you come from. And I will say shout out to Francis, shout out to Edenay, you know, shout out to some of my friends, because I was very surprised to leave with some of those friendships because I'm not I'm not accustomed to that. So, yeah. Wow. I, I mean, we'll take the little surprises when we can get them. Like, I think it gives you a little more hope when you get little little yeah. gyms like that. So that's great that you have people like that in your corner, particularly when you were in school, when it's stressful so going into site creating the garden what was the inspiration behind that where do you think the original idea was rooted from i think you would probably be interested in this answer in context of your podcast because it has been an absolutely brutal journey to get here the garden was not something that i came up with in terms of the core concept of what i do it's something that i was forced into via my spiritual team and guides. Um, And what I mean by that is I have experienced an extraordinary vicious cycle in workspaces where I enter a workspace that aligns with my values and my passions. I love working in teams. I do not have problems working under someone actually. Like I don't mind at all. I was like, you know, you got the skills and you're in a different place. And as long as we're aligned and we're sincere, like I'm Gucci, right? And yet I kept experience workspace after workspace, whether it's a black woman supervisor or majority white woman supervisor in all honesty, but just these vicious cycles of abuse, these vicious cycles of like things just ending really badly in my workspace or just ending in a way where it was just such a closed door. 
And I kept, after each time, of course, you do the social emotional processing, right, of like conflict and how I navigated that and, you know, what could have been done differently. Mm-hmm. But then I also have the spiritual layer processing. I'm like, what's happening exactly, right? Like I'm seeing how so much of the way these things unfolded was out of my control. And I'm seeing the ways that these doors are being closed upon me. So what is happening? And it was brutal. Like I have an extraordinary amount of mainstream institutional workspace trauma. And I remember continuing starting to get the answer that like I'm supposed to kind of create this own space for myself. And at that time, I felt this sense of resistance from a place of like, well, I'm not just someone who just thinks I can't work with other people. And it was that place where big dreams scare you. And it's not even like this idea is even that big, but at that point, there was so much about myself I didn't really understand. I didn't believe in yet, right? And so even when they were priming me to be like, healing space you're supposed to create, like be on your own in this way, I was just still so resistant and so afraid. And really, I was viewing myself through the anticipation of how the worst of others would judge me. And that's what I used to keep myself in check, right? Like people think I'm too big. People like, people would be like, oh, well, like, why can't you just work under others? Like, and that's why I mean the worst of others would judge me. There's foundation in that, but that was how I was keeping myself in check. And for a long time, I valued that as a means of keeping myself in check. And so the official pivot came actually during my degree program, where funny enough, the prayer I made when I got into Harvard was, please, please don't allow my imagination of solutions to become institutionalized. One thing that I understand deeply is the higher you go on the ladder of access and elitism, the more institutionalized your mentality becomes of how to change the world because you are situated in comfort and salivating over the material power that you now have access to, to create this kind of full sense of importance. And I say full sense, not saying that certain positions aren't real and what they can do, but the concept of that position now actually validating your worth is a delusion that we so easily perpetuate in this society, right? And so I, I wanted to be still deeply like grassroots, still deeply connected to reality, still deeply connected to systems of oppression and how I thought, even though I'm about to just have this like candy land of like access and people and powerful people. And it's funny because I didn't really even need that prayer because Harvard further radicalized me by every means. Um, I became further dissociated from institutions, like further convinced and clear of their harm. And it was in that process between my first and second year that I remember I was just in a really like, spiritually, I was led to this like barren land where it's like everything was being cut down. It was like, I didn't have the funds, all this other stuff was happening. And I, I'm so obedient. I'm constantly surrendering to all my spiritual team and ancestors tell me that I just, one day I was like, what is happening? Like, why, why is this happening? Like, I'm literally following what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I haven't even questioned y'all, but like, really what's happening? And I made a prayer. I was about to take a nap and I was like, just tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Girl, they did. And in that dream, (laughs) and in that dream, they showed me providing counseling to actually Arnold Schwarzenegger and his like former wife. This is so random. No, you're going to hear the story. Arnold Schwarzenegger and his his and his former wife Maria and um and it was showing like you know they were they were talking to me and then I like looked at an image and like almost like psychically intuitively like read into the image what was happening and I turned to him and responded and it was like the perfect solution and you know I got the gist of the dream but I was still like but why that couple like why that way so I woke up and I was like I know I need help with this dream interpretation. Who should I call? And they were like, call your friend Mana. Shout out to Mana. And I called Mana. I was like, hey, I just had this dream. And like, 
I felt led to call you to help me interpret it fully. She was like, girl, had, have you not followed Honor Schwarzenegger's divorce and marriage? I was like, no, girl. And she was like, oh my God. It's like, it's so interesting because if your dream showed you exactly that, that means you're going to be able to do and solve things like even therapists and like mainstream counseling services can't even do that others can't do because their marriage was unsalvageable. It was insane. There was no way it was going to work. So they're literally showing you that using your intuitive power, you were able to find a solution. They're literally saying you're going to be do, do things that others can't even do. And like, it'd be extraordinarily impactful and precise in what you can provide people. And I was like, that is wild that you follow Arnold Schwarzenegger and his marriage. And then also yeah, like, I was like, who knows that information? Who knows that? But you know, the preciseness of my intuitive guidance, mm. right? But I was like, okay, heard, yeah. right? Like finally I'm at the growth period. I'm at the deinstitutionalization period because I had tried pursuing counseling programs before. It was always shut down last minute. And so I'm like, I finally surrender and accept it. I'm supposed to do this kind of like radical organic, my own gifts, my own calling way. And then, yeah. And then, at first, I started off naming it home, actually, because one of my biggest philosophies is that people should feel safe in their bodies at home with themselves when they are in a session with me. People should feel sovereign over their truth. I just think that ultimately, my healing support work is to help guide people home back to their intuitive selves, their safe mm. selves, and we work together in that. But then with time, I realized that I actually prefer the name The Garden because that's both, I think, my my philosophical understanding of how earth itself is our, our ancestors, not just looking at it from humans, but also looking at it from the earth itself. And I think nature is so inherently creative and unending. And I think that is the nature of all the different contexts and backgrounds and needs people will come to me with, as well as I feel like I just have the infinite tools at my disposal, to be honest. I really feel like my spiritual team always provides exactly what I need for every client and session and just in my own life. And I don't even know where it comes from half of the time, but it's always provided, you know. So that's where the transition to the garden with the same philosophy of home being a bedrock. So it sounded like in the beginning when you were getting these signs, I would call a calling, would you not, of what you were supposed to be doing. Layman's terms. spiritually. <laughs> 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 Um, you know, transformed like you are yet, but it seems like you were resisting a little bit. And then you had yeah. this clear dream and, you know, kind of conversation that was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. What does it feel like doing the thing after you've resisted for so long? I, I mean, I, I'm sure you're entering with some trepidation, right? Well, I will say at this stage where I'm at now, I say no, but to answer part of that question, <laughs> you know, I think, first of all, calling is not destinational, right? It's the daily alignment of decisions that you make and how you show up in this world. But I say that because I have been exercising this calling without people asking me to for a long time, right? Like I, I have just assumed the role as the healer friend all the time or the healer relative, right? And so I can see exactly what's wrong or what's happening with people. And I just like, I just feel so convicted. I just want to support and help them. And I got myself in a really like bad cycle of making my own self invisible because I was always assuming a role in supporting people. And sometimes people don't want to listen because they didn't ask for it. So they have every right to not listen. But then I'm stressed and I'm like, well, how are we going to get you here? You know, and it's, it was a bad cycle. So I say that at like finally creating a platform 
where people are like, no, I actually want to hear what you got to say. <laughs> like, what do you think on this? It feels freeing. It feels so fun. I just feel like I have finally given myself the healthy apparatus to be myself fully mm. and opposed to trying to fit it into all these other spaces that were not the space for it, right? Like I have a background of being a social emotional learning facilitator and consultant. And I still do that work now. I also do like one-on-one -on -one wellness coaching, counseling for kids. And that's also part of my background. So I said to say like all these other areas I've done like skated, skated through. It's been so easy for me to do facilitation or presentations or like coaching and counseling. And that's always been my secret sauce is my spiritual yeah. side, but it's never, it's not, it's rarely able to be like said out loud. So now I'm able to be fully myself out loud. And for me, it's liberating. Now I am still growing. My, my journey is still continuing. Ultimately, Every aspect of my life is surrendered to my spiritual team, my calling, and, and the daily ask that it has of mm. me. So is my life like rainbow of sunshines now? Absolutely not. There's still so much healing I'm going through. There's still so much positioning my spiritual team is putting me through where like, okay, you just have to wait until this opportunity comes in or this one. So I'm still practicing the very foundation in which they built in me in order to take me mm -hmm. here. Things are both better and an evolved version of the same. Right, right. Tell me a little bit about who's coming to you. You know, what do your clients look like and what issues are they coming to you with? Yeah, so I would say about 70% of my clients are Black, 30% are Latinx. Um, it's a breakdown right now. All women right now, or women identifying folks, and I would say the most common themes are how to create community and loneliness, healing from inner child childhood trauma, and a feeling of not really having the tools to navigate family dynamics and like alignment with desires and purposes in their lives. I would say that'll probably be the biggest themes that I get. That's kind of the intuitive, psycho-emotional, but in the others, ancestral work. Um, I have connected people to ancestors right after they've passed because there was like an immediate message and need to know that they now have this ancestral mm -hmm. guide helping them, supporting them and stuff like that. And then I have done sessions where people have been physical pain and I've read their body to basically break down the emotional source of their physical manifestations and just doing general readings. Like some people just got referred to me. So they did a blind booking. They were just kind of like, this is actually see you. I'm going to just come see you. And we just go off of what comes up, whether that's their pain and they haven't been seen at that level, or that's like learning more about their spiritual identities, their spiritual team, things about their spiritual walk they should like look more into last one i'm sorry i totally forgot this is actually mm -hmm. the biggest one spiritually is exorcisms what that is the biggest one <laughs> how did i forget that that's the biggest one is exorcism the number one spiritual service i provide is removing demons okay if you're listening right now comment on social tell us if you looking for an exorcism if you've tried to have one if that's something you're interested in have you even thought about it i want to know because clearly we have somebody here what? so all of these different types of traumas that you named earlier i know that these things can show up in the workplace and show up for us professionally so for your client and what you've seen how are those connections happening for them i think that to be honest, it takes people to be in a certain place to really recognize workplace trauma as legitimate trauma to discuss. I think especially young people, I think we are still struggling with 
reckoning with how non-normalized a lot of our institutional experiences should be. Like really reckoning with like, this is real trauma and this is actually impacting me in a fundamental and developmental way. We have normalized confining ourselves to fit and then calculating what abuses are worth going through because the check is going to be worth it. The title is going to be worth it, you know, whatever that may be. So I'm going to say right now, it's not even common for people to enter with validation and awareness of the depth of trauma they have from their workspaces. I would say for all of my clients that we've talked about workplace trauma, it's come as a result of us working together longer. And then like something happens and they're like, oh, this, I guess is a good space for me kind of vent and talk about it. And then it dawns the depth, right? Or Mm -hmm. they kind of casually mention it. And I'm like, let's explore that. Like, let's go a bit deeper in that. Last thing I'm going to say on this, I think part of the reason why workplace trauma is so hard for people to even think to talk about is people don't believe themselves. They don't believe that their boss is actually giving them way more than they are supporting them to complete. And thus they are an inevitable cycle of stress, right? Like they don't actually believe that when people talk to them in this way, doesn't answer their emails, goes behind their back, that like they are truly in a hostile work. Like they don't believe their own pain. And that gets into a lot of other stuff, especially when we talk about BIPOC folks, but especially for black people, it's hard for us to believe our pain. I felt a little triggered. Hold on. (laughs) No, it's real. And so the biggest thing that I try helping people to do is to believe themselves. Like when they tell me, I'm like, oh, I believe you. How can we help you for you to believe you that this experience is this crippling, this bad, is affecting your mental health outside of when you check out? So if people are able to assert that they have trauma from their workplaces, trauma from their career experiences, what advice would you give them as the first thing they need to do in their healing process? I actually think that the most important thing first is for me to embody a space where they are safe to talk about it. Like, and I know that sounds so simple, but again, people do not believe themselves. Most people that people will talk to about workspace trauma will say one or two things, like some variation of, you know, I hear you you just got to keep it pushing or like, no, that was super bad and you got to keep it pushing. You can't stop working. That's what we like. That's how we think of it. It's like you either eat or you don't. Right. A hundred percent. And so the reason why I think I'm able to kind of provide a radical processing space is because I live by that Mm -hmm. processing and work myself. When I have finally come to a reckoning of a space and then I like consult my spiritual team and I consult my body, then I decide when I'm going to leave. But I take that seriously. And I also have a lot of deep political convictions about the world we live in and and how we are all lab rats for, you know, the elite. But, you know, (laughs) different conversation. But it plays a role in my awareness that they will kill me if I don't believe myself. It plays like my awareness that like this is 100% a cycle I will stay in. I will stay in this till I freaking retire if I'm lucky or die, right? Telling Mm -hmm. myself, It's all about calculating the next best space that will just give me a little bit more bread and a little bit more peace of mind than this other space. And there's no space to radically reimagine what do I actually want my daily life to look like? And then what capacity do I have to bring some of that to life at this time? That's why I said the safety thing first, because first, people need to feel safe enough to explore. 
People need to feel safe enough to unlearn, to really sit in their trauma and slowly be guided on honestly truths that they're too afraid to allow themselves to see clearly because they know it will convict them to provide some type of change. And they don't feel as if they are strong or courageous or equipped enough to do that change, right? Mm. And they always are. But yeah, that's really the first steps. And then once they're at a place of being able to tap into a bit more clarity and what needs to be done, then I'm actually, I think this part I'm kind of multifaceted. I actually am really good at giving people strategies for like practical professional stuff and exits. That's a combination of my experiences. And I actually, one of my under utilized gifts. I just have this lawyer mentality low key in me. Like I really do. I remember one particular high school seminar and it was like a life seminar and we had lawyers come like every week and every single lawyer that came told me to be a lawyer. A lot of times when I meet people, the first thing they ask me is if I'm a lawyer. I'm like, that's so wild because truly never in my life from like how my life goes. Right. But I'm really good at once I provide the emotional support, I have a background in conflict resolution and restoration. I'm really good with conceptualizing the depth and nature of certain professional conflicts and how for people to enter it, honoring the truths they both know, but protecting themselves both professionally and like long-term. So I feel like that is also kind of a nice adispla for me, but <laughs> like it's worked well, but it, it does take a lot. It takes a lot for people to start accepting that this is bad enough for me to not normalize. Yeah. And I think there's this social media movement of like, still girl boss self-care I did the yoga I just bought the latte right you know I'm getting the confidence and it's in a very silly kind of way a light way but really believing yourself like you said having confidence in yourself and trusting those instincts can be life or death for folks yeah and can change the whole path of their life social media really gives a highlight reel of healing as well so even Mm -hmm. if some of the highlights are real so you can get to one they're still incomplete stories right to why I told you yeah I feel better being my calling but life is still real (laughs) so it's like that path is super messy super hard and you will get the things you're seeking but they're not gonna fix all of you there's just so many layers to it so 100% to what you said yeah I've been doing this podcast for just over a year now and in the brand even longer and I wanted to create that safe space you talked about earlier for people to just start processing their feelings and feel like they had a community where they didn't have to feel ashamed of what was happening and a lot of the things I'm talking about and I'm encouraging other people to do I still really struggle with and so even all this time and this very concentrated focused work as much time as I devote to talking about these stories and unpacking them, I haven't even began to scratch the surface of healing from the trauma that I shared in the very first episode of this podcast, even after all of this, and I'm doing it as like a job damn near, right? So I I think people think it's an an overnight fix. You know, you just have a really good month and all of a sudden magically it's healed. Things don't come back up for you, but it almost feels like something that you will work to heal for the rest of your life in Mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. It's constant practice. I don't know. I really want to kind of highlight what you just said. And thank you so much for centering a bit of your life and your vulnerabilities, because a lot of people were not raised with the community that helped them experience vulnerability with support, intervention and protection. Most of us were raised believing that we can intellectually bypass the healing journey. So we Mm -hmm. think that 
knowing it, naming it, and like being open about it will kind of already be enough. In reality, it's like knowing it and naming it is really the bare minimum, right? Like the next steps are things like next time that you have a meeting with a team or your boss and you feel really down, it's giving yourself space to cry, calling someone you can cry to. Like, you see that vulnerability? You see how most people, they don't move like that, especially Black folk, right? Like, we yeah. move like grind on, right? Like, you know, we, yeah. we really move with this. We glorify it. Yeah, we do. We glorify it. And so the idea of being like, wow, that work meeting really hurt my feelings or I feel super insecure about my ability to do this job. I don't know if I'm good enough to even achieve the professional dreams I have. Like those vulnerabilities and talking to our community about it and sitting with it in this clarity to reckoning with limitations of a job that we were once so excited about and thought this was it. For especially young folks, especially young Black folk, there's a lot of experiences of extraordinary, like salty reckoning with how actually violent our fields are right we come and we are connected to the heart of the work and then we are reckoned with the business institutional side and that yeah. is the bottom line and the face of white supremacy in interpersonal connections relationships and professional experiences it's heartbreaking it's demoralizing and don't like god forbid if you're kind of the one your family heralds of like being that girl being that dude and like <laughs> and making in all these steps like god God forbid if you're that person as well, because you're really like, I got to make this work. It's that survival mentality. It is not that present mentality, right? When you're in survival mode, you're not allowed to be present because you believe, and sometimes you will drown and really like be, and because you don't have the, the tools and resources to sit with the depth of what's happening, right? And right. we think that we must live our lives in survival mode and settle for moments of rest and vacation and big checks and nice houses. And that is going to be the balance, right? The community outside, but we don't. And like, I don't mean that in a like preachy way, but I mean that in a like, you know, everyone's not going to come to the same conclusion, but there really is more space for you to cultivate and experience community, which is always at the core of this, that will help you to really sit with and name what's not okay, help you process it, and help you come with authentic solutions that leave you more empowered than you entered the conflict. So that is where I'm trying to get to, right? That is the possibility that people don't know what's there. I can't speak to all of the ways that people's professional lives can unfold because a lot of times that also comes down to professional mentors, connections, where everything I just said, lifelong is not as scary because it goes from being the in the trenches work that's super difficult and super hard and super scary at first to being actually, this is the way I intentionally want to live my life and it continues to give me the balance and the sense of clarity and joy that I've been seeking. And so the reactive healing, reeling journey becomes the proactive wellness journey. Yeah. Before we go, tell us about how people can connect with you in the garden and then give us a little snippet. You have a book. You wrote oh, a book. Thanks. So <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. I actually <laughs> forgot. My Instagram is at the garden heels. My website is also thegardenheels.us.us. And in terms of my book, it is a very soft compilation of intuitive truths and poems. It's intended to be this kind of radical, spiritual, intuitive, but short and palatable in terms of the size of a lot of the poems, right? Only a few of them are long um, to just kind of sit in deep, 
deep reflection with self and your healing journey. The poems are all about healing truths, healing insights, truths I've had to come through on my journey. So you can find it on Amazon. It's titled Lotus by my name. If you see that on the podcast description. Yeah. And thank you for having me. It's so lovely talking to you. And this was so great. Thank you so much. Everybody check out the garden. Healing is integral in us moving on and being better. And yes, all of that trauma can show up in your workplace. It's time to name your trauma, believe it, and then deal with it. Take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.